Hey, it's Howie. We're rerunning a few of our favorite episodes this week, taped at various stages in our reporting. The words remain urgent, the voices important. Up today, Zack Snyder. This episode originally ran on March 26th. This is Takeaway Only, a podcast about the hospitality industry in crisis. I'm Howie Khan, and these are the stories of the people who take care of you. Today's guest is Zack Snyder, a man who has worked almost every kind of restaurant and bar job imaginable in New York City. To me, Zack represents the beating heart of this industry. But Zack's existence is complicated. He's hustling to finally open his own place. His immune system is seriously compromised. And now, in the middle of a pandemic, his friends are suffering more than ever before. Zach's doctors have told him to stay home. But, as Zach explains, he simply cannot stop serving. Zach's story is harrowing. It's emotional. And it's one of the most important testimonials you will hear about hospitality workers. We will be back tomorrow with an all-new guest. Please hit subscribe so you don't miss it. Stay tuned now for Zach. Hi, Zach. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Um, we were just talking before we got on the air about how these last few days uh, feel like about 100 days, and uh, neither of us can remember where, when things were were normal. Um, I want to talk to you about the things you've been doing over the last few days since restaurants have shut down, since um, Corona has really started to spread rapidly across New York City. Um, you haven't been home. Uh, no, I've been uh, I've been mostly out trying to do what I can in what I understand is valuable resources to people. Um, when this first hit, and we had all of our um, our occupancies cut by 50%. The first people, as I understand, that really got hurt were back of house and porter jobs. And a lot of my friends who are undocumented started saying that they don't know what they're going to do to survive, even with the basic necessities of food. So knowing that we had a surplus of food in restaurants that weren't really selling, I started cooking off meals and freezing things that we could then take to people and kind of slip them something without it being an issue and for them to safeguard against a bigger issue, which this has now become. A bigger issue in terms of of a health issue? Both a health issue and an unemployment issue, because now we're looking at not just back of house, but pretty much everybody has been laid off. We're looking at 9 million unemployed across the nation for hospitality workers. Tell me about uh, what you've been cooking, where you've been cooking, and where you've been delivering it. Um, I've been cooking at a few restaurants, uh, friends of mine. Um, one is August Laura in the Lower East Side, and we have just been preparing as many meals, both for the delivery scenario um, that was imposed on us, and we've been I've been taking meals that I can to people who have privately requested. Um, I set up a private email and sent it to people, and I've taken those uh, to people. That way they can feel uh, free to ask for meals in an anonymous setting. Is the anonymity of that about 
dignity? Is it about making sure they stay healthy? Are there immigration issues people are worried about at this time? Are, are undocumented people worried about ICE roundups? Um, they're worried about ICE roundups, and they're worried that they don't have enough money to do anything in case they need legal representation. Um, there's no cash flow at this point, and because of that, it's basically shelter in place for them because they can't leave the house. Their economic status and their immigration status has made that very clear for them. Where, and where have you been delivering meals? Um, a majority of outlying Brooklyn, uh, Sunset Park, um, Crown Heights, Bed-Stuy, East New York, uh, did some in Astoria, got up to Harlem, uh, made it my way to Jersey City, mostly in a car or on a motorcycle, strapping it to the back. I would argue you've probably seen more of the, the five boroughs and sort of metropolitan area than most people in, in the last few days. You probably have a better sense of what's going on out there than, than most. I, I think so. I still haven't been to Staten Island, though. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow. There's always we'll tomorrow. See. There's always tomorrow. And, and what are you hearing from the people when you're delivering the food to them? Are you just dropping it at the door? Are you stopping to have a conversation? Um, most people don't want to talk and I expect that I drop it at the door. Um, some people have had, um, we've had discussions about what they're going to do. They've asked me if I have any leads and I say, unfortunately, there's nothing, um, nothing in the pipeline. Most of the people that I've been delivering for, we know through catering, um, which is again, part of the at will and freelance work and there's nothing going on. There's no events. There's all of that was first to go. How did you reach out to all these people and how did they find you? How does this, how does the communication work in this community? I mean, this is a real, you know, we were talking earlier about um, sort of the unseen people of, of the food and beverage world. And this is an unseen network. So how does it form? Well, I mean, most of it formed by working freelance as a cook for so many years, and there's just email chain after email chain of, are there any jobs available? What's going on with freelance? And that formed into, oh my God, things are shutting down. And then I reached out to people and said, hey, who needs help? I have supplies. And then people started reaching out, and I just said, when I have time and and if I can, I'm going to get to you. And I said, here's the basics of what I can provide. It may not be a lot, but it's something. Okay, so there are these kind of safety nets in place that are usually used for employment, but now they're being used for... Survival. Survival, for nourishment. The the elephant in, in the room is that you shouldn't be outside it at all. You have a compromised immune system, correct? Yes. I... I my doctors made it very clear that I should not be leaving the house um, for the most part. I haven't taken the subway. I've ridden my motorcycle or driven a car. Um, but I can't I, I can't sit at home knowing that there is this much of a problem going on. And when people are asking for help, it it falls on us as hospitality workers to help each other because there is a lot of feeling that we are unhelped by the rest of the world. Um, and that's become very clear. I feel a very big obligation to people who have helped me. And I think that these people who have hooked me up with jobs when I've needed it and I've been out of work and I, I can't ignore 
people. I can't ignore other humans. I think that's that's just something part of hospitality. We take care of people. I, I won't ignore a person just like I'm taught not to ignore a person asking for water at a table. I'm not going to ignore a person asking for food because they have nothing. I can't do it. You're a brave man. Thank you. Okay, so um, let's talk about why this is life or death for, for so many people and why this moment means so much and how, how we got here. We went from a functional industry with a lot of problems to uh, an industry uh, where all the problems are exposed and, and revealed. You've been working really hard as a hospitality worker since you're, what, 15, 16 years old? About that, yep. So what needs to happen in, in, in the future for it to be um, a safer, better place for people to work, especially when disaster strikes? We've been operating without a safety net in this industry for a long time. Um, when I got into it, people were using tips to pay managers, and that was a status quo norm. And What do you mean, paying? paying why would you... Pay your tips to managers because owners were saying that you can make X. They would say to a, a manager, "We're going to pay you X salary, and then the rest of it you'll get tips from the floor, even though you're a manager." That was a status quo norm when I got started. It's like mafia stuff. Very much so. And I remember working 12-hour shifts with a 15-minute break, where I had to scarf down a salad uh, that was handed to me in a small box. And get right back on the floor. Uh, there were no, there was no regulation or even enforcement of 30-minute breaks. There was no, nobody observed things like um, overtime. You know, my check. If I worked 60 hours, my check said 40, and that was it. And the rest was in tips. That was a thing. Um, and you see that stuff start to change, but realistically, there's always been this unspoken thing that we as hospitality workers are invisible in plain sight. It almost comes from fine dining when your goal is to provide seamless service without really being seen that somehow your food, your beverage is provided to you in a quick and hospitable way. And that's translated very much into our lives where we're on our own. We don't most of us don't have medical insurance. Most of us don't have a safety net. We live paycheck to paycheck, and we pray that something happens. And if something does happen, something bad happens to us, nine times out of ten, we have a GoFundMe for us because there is nobody to help us. We're paying out of pocket for that medical treatment. And, and that needs to change. There needs to be a safety net for at-will employees, for part-time employees, for for freelancers who have to wait 90 days after they work an event for a big liquor company to be paid. And there's no safety net. And that's what we're seeing now is that 9 million people are without an income and we're screaming for help on forums, in, in public areas, online, and largely being ignored. We're seeing GoFundMes by restaurant groups, large and small, trying to sublimate their staff. And, and that's because there are people everywhere who have no safety net. If you live paycheck to paycheck and your money is cut off and it's now been about two weeks, 
you have nothing left. What do you think is going to be the the mental health toll of of this epidemic for people in the restaurant industry? You hear a lot now about the GoFundMes and the financial picture. I worry um, about another side of that, too. I worry about a mental health crisis coming along with it, which, of course, is another thing you can't fix without money and without health care. I 100% agree, and it's already taking surface. Um, A very dear friend of mine was feeling and expressing thoughts of suicide the other day, and I ran back into the city to hold him as he cried on my shoulder, and I cried with him. Um, a good friend of mine who's the general manager of a prominent, um, a prominent, uh, cocktail bar group is making choices between thyroid medication, hormone medication, or HIV medication. And when I asked that person what they're going to do, their response was, I, I might die. I, I guess that's what's going to happen. I've gotten what I need, but this is the same person that took a $10,000 pay cut just to get her HIV medication covered. And this person is also a, a, a military vet. And to hear a friend of mine simply say that they've consigned themselves to death because they don't see help coming from anywhere. I, the, the mental health toll has kicked in real quickly because we're all living on the edge constantly. That paycheck-to-paycheck lifestyle keeps you on edge. I know over the last few months you've been uh, working on a plan to open your own place um, after many years of working for other people. Um, You're taking a a brave move and and, and a risk to hopefully go out on, on your own. Let's flash forward and, and imagine we live, you know, in, in, in an economy that allows new businesses to open in the food and beverage space in the next year or so. Let's say you're the boss. I hope you're the boss. I want to <laughs> see. I want to see you be the boss, right? How how are you gonna do things differently? Well, I think human sustainability is probably one of the most important things to me, um, given my issues with um, health. And, and, you know, and my mental health, I've suffered for depression. And um, I think the biggest thing is if I can step up, first and foremost, I will step up. If, if you have the ability, if you're, if the ability to pay your employees a, something to hold them over, then do it. If you can take out a loan against your business that won't destroy your business, do it. Make the sacrifice because there's a lot of talk about these people being family and the backbone, but it's our job to step up. You, if you're talking in a purely business sense, these people are our tools. They're the reason our business functions. So why would I try to keep them on furlough or get rid of them and try to rehire them when I could keep them loyal on staff and paid and that way I don't have to retrain new people once I reopen. To me, the cost of that benef- outweighs the, the, the benefits of furloughing or terminating people. I'm not saying this is an option for all people, but I've seen restaurant groups that have the financial aid to do that, and I don't see them stepping up. And that's something that if I have the ability, I will do that. It's interesting to think about what kind of 
disaster and contingency plans are going to be in place and are going to have to be in place after this and how people who work in the industry are going to be correct for asking the people they work for what plan's going to be in place next time a, a virus sweeps through the country. I, I really can't speak to that on a business level because I think that's a level that Unfortunately, our uh, government needs to address, and that includes universal health care or some kind of health care plan that eliminates the costs for people who are at-will employees and don't have insurance or part-time employees. Um, when I was exposed to the virus, and I'm lucky that I don't have it, uh, the person next to me did have it. And they got symptoms. And they didn't know. The test got went missing in New Jersey. And I'm seeing a massive disorganization when it comes to taking care of our people. Because they're uninsured or they're undocumented or they don't get checkups regularly. They don't even know where to go. And we need to start providing a resource for them that's real in terms of both medical and mental health care. I agree with you fullheartedly. Um, what's what does tomorrow look like for you? Do you are you sleeping? First of all, uh, no matter when I go to bed, I'm up at one thirty to two a.m. and then usually awake for the rest of the night. Then go back to bed around six, and I'm up by seven. What happens at those one thirty to six hours? Are you are you corresponding with other people through these email chains? No, that's usually a personal, um, frankly, a, a panic response that's been triggered back um, when this whole thing started. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to be an alarmist, um, but seeing what's happening all around the world and the images of the dead and the numbers that are coming out and knowing that we're at the beginning of this and knowing that my friends don't have health care or or ways to take care of themselves and I'm certain that I'm going to lose someone and I can't <laughs> I can't really reconcile that right now in my head and I think that's what's keeping me up is knowing that we're left alone and that someone who I can't reach or my friends can't reach either will die from this virus or die from the neglect of health care that we've received. Are you okay? Yeah, it's, um, it's hard to feel alone yeah. in a, in, when you know that there's 9 million of you out there. Man. And somehow you still feel alone. And that, I think, is a sobering experience for a lot of us. Um, and we, we've, we've created Facebook groups. There are people who are banding together to get as many resources as possible. But I can't help to have a certain resentment for the fact that why are we doing this? Why are other companies getting bailouts? Why are other people furloughed and able to work from home? Why are we told – why are we told by the – by New York City and other states that we're an essential service, yet we're not treated as essential service providers. 
How can we be on an essential service list that's food delivery, providing a service to people who are hungry and to help small business, but somehow we're left alone and screaming for help? Not the businesses, not just the businesses, but the individual. The individual who is making life or death decisions on what medication to take. Why is that an acceptable thing in this society? Why is it acceptable that I, I watch a friend of mine who owns a bar cry as she's calling all of her employees, telling them how to get unemployment and saying, I will have a job for you if we reopen, not when, if. Why is it that a friend of mine who's trying to hire for their business through a digital means and interviewing people online, having to say to people, I'm sorry, I don't know when this job will start and watching them cry and say, I have nothing. They're interviewing for a job and they just burst out crying. We're not even in the middle of this yet. We're at the beginning and we're drowning and nobody is hearing us. I think nobody. I think everything you're saying right now is, is tremendously important. Um, and I think just by saying it, you're going to be giving people hope and you're going to be making people feel less alone. I mean, that's hope. <laughs> you got to give them hope as uh, milk said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so tell me about your day tomorrow. I know tomorrow's probably your last day delivering food for a well, while. I, I, I don't think I'm even going to be delivering. I'm going to prepare about 50 meals. Um, Bacardi is doing a really great program where they're, helping small businesses by paying to pre prepare meals to uh, for hospitality workers to be able to pick up. Um, I don't know how that works now. I mean, this was all in place before the new um, shutdown. So I don't know if even pick up as an option. We're going to have to talk to an attorney. Um, but we're going to prepare 50 meals. And I'll, I mean, I'll talk to them. And if we can't, I will try to get those out to people who I can. But Given the severity of things, you know, I think I think supporting local food banks or things like the Bowery Mission um, might be the best option to get the food to hungry people as quickly as possible. And then I'm going to hunker down and hope for the best. I mean, I'm 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 hoping that lawmakers do the right thing and give it a rent and utility abatement because while I may be paid up on my utilities and rent. I know plenty of people who have letters from their utility companies threatening to shut their utilities off when it's 35 degrees outside and they won't be able to cook or heat up a meal or turn a light on and nobody's stopping the companies from doing this to us. And most of us live in, I mean, all of us in New York City live in the, one of the most expensive cities in the world and we're facing a rent bill in seven days. Tell me where you get your sense of resilience from. Um, I mean, I'm fortunate to have been brought up by strong parents with an immigrant background, but my strength comes from this, honestly, the people who have suffered a lot worse than me and made a lot more of themselves. I have... I have worked next to, when I was at a restaurant in Brooklyn working, I worked next to a 15-year-old kid who was a cook. 15-year-old kid. That kid came in every day. He never called out. 
He never he never showed up late. He worked every day. He provided food for his family. I've never had to do something like that. That's strength. Those people deserve our help. People who work three, four, five jobs, all minimum wage, all to pay the bills. They're, they're, they're better people and they deserve our help. And I, I, complacency will be the death of our society. And I, if you can help, help. If you have the ability to help in any way possible, go look at the GoFundMes and give $5, $10 to every single GoFundMe. Get out there. If you have extra food, donate it to someone. If you know someone who is sick, provide them with food. Tell them you'll go shopping for them. I mean, it's just that's you, you are duty bound as a human. It's going to take a total effort. Yeah, 100%. Zach, the show is called Takeaway Only. What is your big takeaway from the last week? Hospitality workers are the most resilient people I've ever met in my life. And if anybody out there has ever worked in a bar, a restaurant, a delivery service, they'll understand that. And I am seeing that it may be a struggle, but we will survive because we've survived before. These people know how to survive. That's their job. And they make it look effortless so that you are get the best service possible. And because of that, because of that effort that put, is put in every day, that's how I, I, I take away the fact that that we still, even though we feel exhausted, we still haven't lost hope. These are these are these are strong words to live by, uh, Zach. Thank you so much for being here tonight on uh, on Takeaway Only. I appreciate you, um, and I love you, man. You, I do. I love you too. And you guys are doing a great service for us, getting the word out there. I appreciate it. We'll we'll keep going. You take care of yourself. You too. Good night. Good night. Thank you so much for listening. Takeaway Only is produced by Casey Kahn, Rob Corso, and me, Howie Kahn, for Freetime Media. Our logo is by Reynald Philippe at Beepholes. Music by John Palmer. Special thanks to Kristen Millar, Antoine Ricardou, and Raphael Weil. We're back Friday. This is Takeaway Only.